welcome to Player's Anatomy. I'm your host, Charlie DeClaw. I'm a physical therapist at Bell & Health Titletown Sports Medicine and Orthopedics, a stone's throw away from iconic Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. On today's episode, we have an interview with Lee Herkus. Lee is a registered dietitian and performance nutrition specialist with Bell & Health. Uh, Lee has also helped us develop our performance nutrition program over the last several years. So, stretch out, warm up, and get ready. This is Player's Anatomy. First up, news of the day. Uh, I thought coming off of the championship games with the NFL and then the NBA's in full swing, quite frankly, we got a lot of sports in full swing with hockey as well. But I really thought I'd uh, focus on one of obviously the most polarizing athletes in the world, LeBron James, um, and really not focus on his actual injury, but more of the process he's going through. So um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the situation, uh, LeBron is not playing right now due to knee pain. And if you trust these articles that are coming out and different things are being said, what's being discussed is, well, he had an MRI and it shows swelling and irritation. So really, if any of you have had to go through the process to give you kind of an idea of how we work with athletes and kind of the process when they see a specialist. So obviously LeBron is in a nice situation being on a professional team that he has athletic trainers and a team doctor. So more or less, you know, he starts having pain and it starts with an evaluation. So he gets evaluated by probably his team athletic trainer, uh, maybe if they team has a physical therapist, and then obviously their team orthopedic physician um, starts with an evaluation. And based on that, uh, taking a history and doing a hands-on examination, they probably felt it warranted that uh, let's get an MRI and see what's going on in the knee. My guess is they also took an x-ray just to make sure they didn't miss anything crazy like um, any underlying fracture or anything else that could be going on. But really, the main thing they want to see is, okay, let's have an MRI and see what they have. So again, just to kind of talk you through the process, your hands-on examination, you're looking for the way he says his knee feels, where his knee hurts, uh, the way that his symptoms started, what we call kind of the method of injury or um, kind of how it the onset of his injury and pain, kind of trying to match where they're complaining with pain with what they're telling you about the injury. So that's where things start. What we'll tell you is in our world is we have what we refer to as special tests are different tests we do on joints that try to tell us what injury could be involved or what could be going on. And what they'll tell you is none of the tests are perfect. Um, some of them are better than others, but none of them are perfect. So, But at the same time, we're looking for things that just keep lining up and telling the same story. So they point to pain on the inside of their knee. Okay, what's there? That could be meniscus. That could be MCL. And then they tell you, no, I don't remember. Having any injury, it just started to hurt. Okay, well, you know, that starts ruling out certain things. And, and this is really what's going on in the minds of your medical professionals and what they're doing. It is when you start saying, I have pain here, we're more or less making a top 10 list in our head. And we're going, okay, which ones are most likely based on your age, based on the in the sport you play, based, based on where you're pointing to your pain. And we're just reordering that top 10 over and over and over again as we go through. And we're just trying to rule in or rule out what could be going on. And that's really what LeBron's team is doing right now. Um, I, again, just to be very clear, I have no insight in what's going on, just more speaking to the process of they decide, okay, we think it could be this, this, or this. You know, we have our top three. Let's do an x-ray. And that x-ray is really to rule out anything that could be, again, it's just showing bone and space. So we're just ruling out, you know, looking in general 
for anything that could be going on with the bone, but then also the spacing between the bone where cartilage is supposed to be of just, are we missing anything? Is there anything that we're missing? And then from there, you move on to MRI. So the MRI is going to show everything, all the soft tissues. I do like to say though, an MRI is like a picture on a foggy day. It's going to show the major stuff. It might not show the fine, fine detail. And again, as as technology improves and we more and more move on and we'll be able to see more and more. But today as it stands, you know, MRI is not perfect. It's still just another layer of detail for us, uh, for the health professional, just going through their kind of top 10 of what could it be, what could it not. So the MRI came back and what they're saying, now this is just being reported um, online here of just saying it shows some swelling and irritation. So again, now the health professional team that's working with him is just going to go, okay, we reorder our, our top 10, what doesn't really rule in or rule out, what we think it could be, and now you start treating what you think your top three is. So what you think he could be dealing with, you start treating that and you start rehabbing that, and then you kind of watch for the progression of his symptoms. If they don't get better, then it warrants possibly re-examining by MRI or you start moving on with your next, what was your next way of, of improving that? In our world, you know, locally here when we're dealing with people of, you know, we start, we try to do things conservatively. We want to do things with therapy or basic rehab. And then the next step could possibly be medication. Is there an anti-inflammatory or something that can be used to try to get the system to settle down? The next step would be something a little bit more invasive, would be considering injection. And then finally, even more invasive, a surgical intervention. So that's really kind of the the behind the curtains process that uh, is probably going through for his team. Again, I have no insight into this, but what he's dealing with is quite frankly, our bread and butter here. Uh, we see so many people coming in with knee pain. This is the process you know, of just taking people through, hey, I'm having an issue. They raise their hand, whether they're coming into a walk-in clinic, seeing their, their team athletic trainer or seeing their primary care physician or coming in and seeing, one, seeing a specialist to going down the line of, of the process going through. So um, it see, as we're recording this now um, he is still currently not playing and, and probably still more in that rehab phase so wish him nothing but the best so for today's interview, as mentioned before, we welcome on Lee Herkus. Lee is a registered dietitian and performance nutrition specialist. Uh, Lee did a nice job of painting a picture for us of what really happens in a one-on-one -on -one session with a dietitian, but also does a really nice job of, of kind of debunking some of the common myths and misunderstandings of nutrition. So great interview. Um, Lee always does a nice job. I, I always love, and I, I talked to him about this in the interview, but Lee's not an extremist, and, and that's what I love about him. He does a really nice job with his clients and patients of making sure they understand simple one step at a time instead of just these extreme makeovers of somebody's lifestyle and diet. So uh, I, I've always loved that about him. He's a realist. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. Here is Lee Herkus. All right, Lee, well, thanks for joining us. So give our listeners a little background. Where'd you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Iron Mountain, Michigan. Um, so I spent a lot of time outdoors, um, a lot of hunting, things of that nature. Um, and then I transplanted down to Green Bay in 09. Nice. So where did you go to school? So I went to school. Um, high school is Kingsford. 
uh, Michigan, and then college was at UWGB. Oh, so literally came in. So you've been in GB for a while now. Correct. Absolutely. Nice. So when did you really know? I know I mentioned it in the uh, the intro of your your subspecialties, but when did you really start seeing the path that nutrition is something you wanted to do? Yeah. Well, for most of my childhood, I was actually overweight. So in high school, I kind of started to figure out that what I put into my body made a big difference, whether I gained weight or lost weight. So that kind of got me into thinking, is there a career that I can run with this? So after seeing success with nutrition and exercise, things of that nature, I did find out that you could go to be a dietitian. I hooked up with UWGB, was able to do part of their strength and conditioning program as well. So that really got my niche in kind of the sports nutrition world as well. Oh, that's awesome, man. You know, it it is always funny how many of us have the reason why we got into something is something we struggled. For me, it was multiple knee injuries, and I ended up being in a lot of physical therapy and just fell in love with it. And same thing for you. That's interesting. Absolutely. So on the topic of nutrition, I know I mentioned this in the intro, um, and, you know, I want to try to cover the gamut, and there's so much we can talk about. You know, I know we were talking offline before. I've, I've heard you talk so many times. I always love your talks. And one of the reasons why, you know, I was so excited to have you on is, um, you're not an extremist and I know that sounds silly to say and I'm not saying that all dietitians are there's extremists in every profession right Correct. but that's what I've always loved about you of that when I hear you talk I always feel like the people are listening feel like right this is actually a possibility like I might actually be able to do this versus okay you can never have that again never have that again it's like yeah okay now I'm not doing this right so what are some common things when so when you see you know I know you've been doing this for a while now but what are some things that you find you spend so much time educating that are either misunderstood or just not known? Yeah, I think the biggest one that I commonly see, especially this time of year, is there's no magic diet. So there's not one diet that's gonna give you optimal health or optimal weight loss or optimal sports performance. It's really about looking at your lifestyle and figuring out what areas do we have gaps and how can we fill those gaps. Um, So although a, a diet might work for one of your friends, it's just like buying a car. Every car is not going to be ideal for each person, and that's the same with with meal plans or diets. You really have to tailor it to your lifestyle um, and maybe even pick out a few different pieces from multiple different types of meal plans or diets and kind of put those together to fit your lifestyle. Yeah, and I've, you know, I know I've shared this. My my father has has worked very hard on uh, on diets in the past. I feel like they've done a little bit of everything, and I I feel like when he started doing Weight Watchers and different things, that's where he felt he had the most. He felt he had the most success, and he was really the one who said to me, "It's it's not really a diet, though. It's mm-hmm. I've had to change my lifestyle." So that's that doesn't surprise me. That's that's a big one. Absolutely. The the second thing would be. Um, probably just people underestimating what they're taking in. Um, I really think that even dietitians, there's been studies on us showing that we think we eat better than we really do. And once you start to lay it out there, whether you're using a tracking app, pen and paper, I think you start to realize that, wow, I have more gaps in my meal plan than I once thought. Um, And for the general population, it might be often a few hours in the day, maybe afternoon, evening, where we're taking in a lot more than other times of the day. And for athletes, I often find that they don't take in enough. So that's where we're just trying to figure out how can we fill those gaps a little bit more realistically. Yeah, I know we were talking just before we started Mm -hmm. that when I was in college, uh, one of the uh, strength coaches on our staff got a grant for nutrition. And, you know, for the listener here to kind of get you up to speed of what we talked about, more or less, I had to write down everything I ate for two weeks, answer some common questions of what my perceptions were about my nutrition and, Mm -hmm. and just nutrition in general, and then 
the really the grant paid for a whole bunch of marketing material to be put all over campus about the findings of the study and kind of more or less myth busting and then providing actual facts and then also providing nutritional information for all the food in our in our areas Absolutely. and it was the same thing it was wow none of us are taking enough calories most of us aren't getting nearly enough whether it be fruits or vegetables or you know in some point like not even enough close enough protein so let's start with you know when we say athlete Mm -hmm. anybody who's trying to be active okay so i don't care about the age doesn't matter to me right yep you get somebody that wants to run you know a 10k and they're in their 50s you're an athlete right absolutely so with that what are some common things of why why do you think people have a hard time understanding i a lot of times will find people will try to even eat leaner Mm -hmm. as they try to do it and it's one of those things of for me are you training to have a good run or are you training only to lose weight correct right yeah i honestly think that we're in such a weight loss culture as a whole that we get individuals who are trying to train very heavily again at any ages and they oftentimes will start to restrict Uh, even though it might be unconsciously they get into that habit or the culture where i should be probably taking in a little bit less when really we want to be fueling those runs those those weight training sessions and if you want to pull back on days where you're not training as hard or periods when you're not training as hard that's okay but during your events and training for events we really want to make sure we're matching that that intake to what you're putting out or even taking in a little bit extra if needed yeah so where where's a good place for people to start so we had you know i know you mentioned the the tracking apps or pen and paper and i know for me it was it was eye opening mm-hmm. to write it down of you know when you'd go to write something down you'd be like oh never mind I won't eat that <laughs> never mind I won't have yes. that right yes. it does change so is that a is that an easy tip or trick to start with of is take it upon yourself even don't even worry about what you're looking for as much as just a place to start is just document everything you put in your mouth for how long would you suggest yeah so I know that there's somebody out there listening like no I don't want to do this I don't want to track and that to that person I would just say even a couple days out of a week just to get a picture and maybe it's even just the weekends because a lot of times our week weekends are way different than our weekdays so i would just tell you track at least two times a week just to get a baseline if you're somebody that wants to take this a little further i would track consistently for two weeks to get a really good baseline and then again if what you do with that data whether you want to analyze it yourself you can always meet with somebody like a dietitian to analyze it with you and that i think gets you a better starting point on where do we need to start to fill the gaps yeah and is that and i know i had this on my list of things to ask you so this is probably a good spot to get it is that's really what's actually happening when you're when you're meeting with a a dietitian or nutritionist like the one-on-ones what are i mean i guess what are the benefits truly of me trying to do my own versus meeting with you i think the biggest thing is if you don't come in with with data then we're probably going to start in that point on just getting a recall even just a 24 hour if that doesn't give us enough data we might again say okay go home for a couple weeks track let's meet again at this point we'll really dive into it see where we need to focus on and then kind of build our plan from there Um, in other aspects a lot of myth busting goes on during those appointments because people come in with information from the internet their friend from work their grandparents their mom and dad and it's really just kind of diving in and saying ignore this this is okay to listen to sure this is probably not going to fit your lifestyle and really dialing in so what they are trying to do actually fits yeah, it's um, and I know I've said this on multiple podcasts recently is just use an expert. Like you, yeah. if you really don't feel confident about what you're doing, just just use an expert. And I know I have uh, information for for Lee and then the service lines in today's description mm-hmm. as well. Um, 
other common misunderstandings myths what are what are the most common that come in you have the the diet right the yep. next fad diet what else i would say the amount of times you need to eat in a day um, i still get that brought up so that's why i like to kind of clarify that is at one point there was this kind of myth out there i'll call it that if you eat six times a day that boosts your metabolism we found out that's not true um, we actually find out for some individuals when you tell them you have to eat six times a day that's six more choices that you have to think about and that sometimes derails people so really what we find is probably minimum three times a day is ideal at least for to get that protein intake flowing in and then a sweet spot for some might be four to five meals slash snacks in a day um, so really when people come in we look at how their day kind of looks overall and what can we fit in realistically without pushing that barrier where it's going to make things collapse at some point yeah I, I i do feel like i every couple of years you hear this I, I know nutrition tends to be like in the fad diets tends to be a lot like the the exercise fad things of p90x and like everybody's doing it now they move on and everybody's doing crossfit and everybody's moving on and it's, it just keeps going right um that a lot the good things stick and then the other things just fade away Absolutely. and I, I agree with you i always feel like every once in a while it's like yes you should eat 12 small meals a day it's like I'm, that can't be good so absolutely um, what else though what are some other things that you feel like you're consistently writing the ship for people with yeah i i would say the and again i i think that there's good thought that goes into it but the superfood kind of logo that gets thrown out there quite a bit is that this one food is going to be the be all end all that's going to solve your problems and the issue becomes then as people get so fixated on that one food item they overlook the rest of their meal plan then so again i i know everyone remembers kale um that was big for a long time yep it had its moment to shine yep (laughs) what if you don't like kale that doesn't mean that your diet can't be great it's just you're not gonna maybe have that food in your meal plan so I always tell people, don't put things on pedestals as much as we do, because when you do that, you limit your food variety. And that is the key to long-term health, whether you're an athlete or just somebody who's trying to stay healthy. The minute you limit that food variety, you lessen the amount of micronutrients you're taking in. So we really want to keep as much variety as possible. Um, well, again, keeping, again, our meal plan on track for what our goals are at that point. Yeah, I know my, my wife will listen to this and she's going to be like, I told you, I'm the most <laughs> routine person ever. So that is uh, that is going to be something I'll have to work on after this one, Lee. That is for sure. Um, all right, simple tips and tricks. So we've kind of talked a little bit about the mist busting and, and those are some really good ones. What are some simple things that our listener can really take and more or less put into action tomorrow? Yeah, I would say number one, because I'm sure they've heard about um, protein intake and the importance of that. And I think that is very important, especially in the aging population, athletics, or just even general weight loss, things of that nature. So if you can try to get three meals in a day that has some good dose of protein, usually about 20 to 30 grams, which in in equivalent, that's about a three to four ounce piece of meat, deck of cards size piece of meat, Um, or it might be a couple eggs with maybe some cheese mixed into it to get you that amount. Um, Greek yogurt's another great choice to, to kind of boost the protein. So we do find that if you can at least hit three to four protein feedings a day, that can really just kind of help out your meal plan in general, fullness-wise, and then for recovery for people who are working out. Okay. How about someone like myself who has struggled mm-hmm. to make fruits and vegetables truly a consistent part? And I, there's no way I'm the only, we're, we're in the Midwest. It's meat yeah, and potatoes, absolutely. right? We're meat and potatoes country. What have you found has been helpful to just kind of get those people into that rhythm? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, again, pairing them up with certain meals. So again, if you're somebody who's just not a huge vegetable fan, it might not be in the cards to include it at breakfast. 
just being honest. So maybe then we shift it and say, how can we get some of this in at lunch or supper? So lunches, it might be taking some leftovers from home, so stir fries, maybe add some uh, roasted vegetables that were left that you can heat up for lunch. Uh, salads, which I don't want to like harp too much on those because people can get burnt out of salad. So I would say salads are great, and if you love them, run with it. But if you don't love them, let's try to find another option. Um, fruits do tend to be easier for clients to get in, in my opinion. So whether you throw them in at snacks in between meals, maybe a smoothie in the morning. Um, and my biggest takeaway for clients with the produce side of things is it's okay to, to load up at one meal on it. So if you're like, this is a meal where I know I can eat a lot of it, you can get most of your servings in at that one meal. It doesn't have to be spread throughout the whole day. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so maybe if you love them for a snack or just load up on it for a snack. Correct. Interesting. Uh, and then is there, I know uh, we touched on this a little bit. Nate Vandervest has been on here a couple times, and I always hear him talking with his clients about nutrition timing. So not only with just being an athlete, but also just getting your day right, making sure you're attentive and for the day. What are some easy tips and tricks you give with people or some, again, maybe even busting some myths of what is what is to be said about truly not only what you eat, but when you eat it? Yeah. Um, so honestly, what the research shows is people who especially are working out every three to four hours, it'd probably be wise to get some fuel flowing in. Um, so for some of us, that might actually be meaning we have to set up specific times in a day, like eight o'clock, I have to have a breakfast in by 11 or 12, I need to have a lunch, maybe mid afternoon, throw a snack in if it's around training or something of that nature. And then trying to get at least an evening meal in at some point to kind of cap off the day. Um, I do have many people who have to set even little alarms through the day because if you're working, it's easy to work through lunch. Um, as hard as that might be to believe, yeah. a lot of us, when we get into our work, we forget about everything else. Yeah, I would agree with that. That happens quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, anything Anything else? Anything else coming in today you want to make sure we talked about? Um, let's see here. Any other myths, misunderstandings, easy tips and tricks? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing to be successful is start off with one or two small habit changes that you can focus on. So whether it's just swapping out one of your drinks for something that's a little less calorie dense or sugar dense on that area, and then maybe it's trying to throw in a consistent snack in the afternoon to take the edge off before you get home from work. So if you can start with two kind of more easy things that you know you can run with, that might build your confidence to again, add other bigger items as you get going with it. Um, so I would say simple is sustainable. So start there and then build your way up as, as you want. Yeah, don't try to change it all at once. Correct, right? correct. Well, Goodly, well, I really appreciate your time, my man. This was great. I know we've been talking about trying to get you on for a while here, so I'm glad we could. Um, again, in today's description, I have a link to Lee's page and then also just some services. Um, but also, this is obviously a topic. There's a billion books out there about nutrition. You know, educate yourself and just don't try to do it all on your own. Reach out to Lee if you have any further questions. Again, his contact information will be below. And till next time, Lee. Thanks yeah, for joining absolutely. us, man. For Appreciate it. Enjoyed that interview with Lee Herkus. He always has uh, such great information. And again, I hope you felt the way I did. He's not an extremist. He takes things a very simple approach, and that's what I've always loved about him. Uh, I did think it was really interesting. I I didn't know that that he kind of got into nutrition because of uh, really something he struggled with in his younger years and made a career out of it. And you know, I told him in the interview that's exactly kind of always for me. Struggled with a knee injury and led me into the rehab world. So it's always neat to see kind of people's careers path and. 
Uh, if you ever get a chance to meet Lee, he is uh, fantastic. Great guy to work with. Really does some great work. Um, I included some links uh, for Lee in today's description. One, just on the uh, sports nutrition, but also on the flip side of that, just another, uh, just a page about just Lee in general, if you want to get to know a little bit more about him. Uh, well, we're nearing the end of today's episode of Players Anatomy. I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, smash that subscribe button. We're trying to include uh, more people in our listening here, trying to grow our listening. So please tell a friend. Uh, but again, smash that subscribe button. Uh, to keep up with everything that's going on in Bell & Health Titletown, please just search Bell & Health Titletown on any social media platform and you will find us there. And finally, let's take a minute for Charlie's Cut. We are, as I'm recording this, uh, we, this is the week of the Winter Olympics uh, starting here. So I thought uh, literally what might be nice to talk about is kind of reflect back on kind of the, the highs and lows of the Summer Olympics that was literally just one year ago because of COVID delaying those uh, and really hoping we don't make the same mistake. So to me, one of the lowest points uh, from a fan base, if I, if, if I want to be honest, is really kind of how as fans uh, everything that happened with Simone Biles was handled. And I know we ended up doing a podcast about it uh, with Roland Schmidt. Uh, where we talked about mental health um, and then even reflected on that most recently with uh, with Charles Latour as well. But really, let's not make the same mistake. Please, please, please try to put yourself in, the, in these athlete's shoes. They have trained for four years for some of them for a two to five minute competition. Mentally and physically, think about the challenge they're going through and the time and effort and dedication they had to put in, not only mentally and physically, but you know, talking with Lee from a nutrition standpoint of completely dedicating their life to to just compete at the highest level for their country. And, you know, as you know, from a US standpoint, this is not a super lucrative situation, especially the Winter Olympics. If you really look at the sports of the winter versus the summer, this is there's not a lot of pro sports that are doing Winter Olympics. So this is not these are people that have jobs just like you and me, and they have found a way just to absolutely do everything they can to compete at a high level. So please, let's not make the same mistake. Let's enjoy it. And but also understand that when somebody doesn't meet their expectations or has a physical or mental challenge they have to deal with, that let's just embrace it. And, and try to see things from their their standpoint. Put yourself in their shoes before you start, you know, before we have the same situation. We had Simone Biles where the whole world just thought she was being selfish and it couldn't have been just quite honestly further from the truth. Well, thank you again for listening. I'm Charlie DeClean and we'll see you next time on Players Network.